Welcome to the Reno County Range, a new podcast venture for Kansas State Research and Extension in Reno County. Today with me I have Dr. Tommy Perkins from West Texas A&M. He received his Bachelor's of Science in Agriculture Economics from West Texas A&M in 1983 a Master's of Art in Agriculture from West Texas A&M University in 1986, and a Ph.D. in Animal Breeding and Genetics from Texas Tech University in 1992. Dr. Perkins also holds the chair for Dean Hawkins' Cow-Calf Management Program. Today I'm with uh, Dr. Tommy Perkins, professor of West Texas A&M. Uh, Dr. Perkins, what are some, uh, with spring calving underway, is it too early to think about breeding considerations? It is not. It's probably too late. We, you know, we're heavy into calving right now, and you should have already got your bull select, bulls selected and, and made those decisions early probably. Yes, sir. Uh, what met, uh, method of breeding should we use? Well, you know, that's, that's a double-edged sword because we don't, in the beef industry, we don't use enough artificial insemination. Uh, and take advantage of the good genetics available out there. You know, it's it's one of those that's a little more labor intensive, and you know, it's a little harder for commercial cattlemen to, you know, migrate to it. But we really need to encourage more commercial cattlemen to at least do one round of artificial insemination, and then certainly, you know, have high quality cleanup bulls to make sure we get high conception rates are, are very important. But that one round of AI is very very important. Yes, sir. And that you, I mean, that was one of the other things I was thinking about was. Uh, still have good quality cleanup bulls to come in afterwards. Exactly. I teach a class on animal breeding and that's one of the projects they have to do. They have to, I give them basically a scenario and, and it's located in different parts of the country, but uh, they've got to go in and buy five bulls if they were you know, ranch managers and give them that scenario based off the of EPD selection. And they, they've got to go and pick the best bulls they can fit that scenario and, and purchase those guys and uh, write up a nice plan. So they're very much like our breeders do today. Yes, sir. I was like, what are some of the other advantages of embryo transfer and uh, artificial insemination over traditional methods? Well, you know, those two, if we're going to ask a commercial cattleman to use embryo transfer, you know, there's a tremendous amount more labor, uh, labor cost and, and just time involved in it. Uh, but if you're talking about turning over generation intervals so much quicker um, if you are uh, you know, able to do that, because in, in that case, you're accounting for the improved genetics in the female and the male where when we're talking about artificial insemination we're really just talking about one side of the equation which is up to the genetics on the male side of it so um, i think embryo transfer just gives us a, a chance to uh, basically just super you know speed up the, the genetic progress when we talk about delta g that's the way to maximize those, those genetic changes yes sir and i'm talking about epds what are i'm um, the, some of the things we need to be looking at in our edu- uh, estimated progeny differences. I mean, of course, low birth weights, high weaning weights, but what are some of the other characteristics? Yeah, when when I talk to the students about it, you know, that scenario that they get, if, it, if they're going to be breeding first calf peppers, you know, I, I'm probably probably more firm on it than some others are, but I really tell them to, to pick CED and to make that as their EPD of choice uh, and not use birth weight along with CED because it's kind of a part-hole situation. Uh, and they do get confounded if you try to select for both. So I really recommend breeders going there. And if they're breeding first calf heifers, really select hard 
uh, on that Kevinese direct to EPD. Uh, but also be mindful if you're going to be keeping back your placement heifers uh, that knowing your location uh, will tell you where you need to keep that milk as well. Uh, too many times I see from, uh, cattlemen go out there and they select those bulls and they get a real high milk EPD bull when their environment really will not handle it. Uh, because those daughters, if, if they come out of a high milking bull, then you've got to feed them too much to meet those genetic propensity of milk. And, and those cattle wind up falling out because they don't get rebred. They put everything towards milk and they don't get rebred. Yes, sir. And I mean, in terms of just kind of more of your second, third year and uh, later cows, what are some of the EPDs we need to be looking at for that one? So once we go in there and, you know, usually, you know, we, we're still in that uh, mode of selling weaning weight. So most, depending on their marketing plan, you know, if they're the traditional sell, wean those calves, take them to the sale barn, uh, weaning weight is of, of high priority. Uh, but meanwhile, again, you're keeping back replacements from those cattle uh, on the female side of it. So I always tell them, maximize weaning weight, but probably moderate your mature cow size. So if you take mature weight and moderate it, kind of keep it in the 50th percentile, but put a lot of pressure on your weaning weight, maybe keep it in the top 25, uh, 25th percentile, then I think you're doing pretty, uh, at least some justice on those cattle you're keeping back in replacement heifers. That she's still got the ability to grow, but not get too big in terms of mature cow. Yes, sir. Why would a producer start to consider uh, consider crossing like when you do a percent a percent Angus or uh, kind of those blue short horns? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, we. I think we've lost a lot of the the advantages from crossbreeding in the cattle industry today. Uh, we've used a multi-generation of the same breed uh, across the country. You know, we've got a real black-hided cow herd, uh, which has been beneficial to raise our percent choice in the packing plan. There's been a lot of good uh, to that, but if breeders want to take advantage of heterosis or hybrid vigor, then the ability to go out and get an outcross bull to using those black cows uh, sure has its advantages because we know that we can pick up more weaning weight, uh, more pounds of product sold at the packing plant, whether that's in yield of red meat um, uh, or, you know, just total pounds. You know, we're selling in a hanging carcass because of that. Uh, you got to worry about when you do that, though, and you talked about the, the blue roans. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those that you're going to get color discounted on, so you've got to be really careful uh, if you're going to be marking at your traditional sale barn uh, at weaning, uh, that those calves need to fit a, a niche and, you know, that black solid color or a solid red color seem to be more preferred at the, you know, the packing plant. Uh, so those buyers looking for those calves, they're going to pay a premium for those solid black calves. In the middle of calving, when, uh, what are some of the deci- uh, decisions on calling would we make after our calving process? Well, that could be a long question there. <clears throat> you know, obviously any cow that comes up open, uh, it needs to be cold from the herd for sure. Uh, and I'm pretty picky on that. I see a lot of these producers that uh, preg check when those cows are seven and eight months bred. Um, I really would encourage cattlemen uh, to, to preg check those cows 30 days after they pull those bolts. Um, it's earlier than what they have been accustomed to. Uh, but what it does, it finds those open cows and gets them off the payroll, especially in times of now when we've got, you know, these high uh, fertilizer costs, high hay costs, high feed costs, high fuel costs, then I think it's better to get those cows off the feed as early as you can 
and not carry them an extended three or four months and then decide that they're open and go ahead and call them. Uh, once the calf is born, we get the calf uh, live here. Um, and assuming the calf is alive here, we really look at utter quality in these cows. Uh, really should spend some time there that first 24 hours after that calf is born. Uh, look at that teeth shape. Look at the base of the size of that udder. Uh, and does that is that calf able to nurse? And if you've got a cow that's uh, got too big of teats, uh, or she's milking too much, we wind up getting a little bit of mastitis issues in those cows. May lose a quarter uh, in those calves and may scour on you because of some of those situations. So uh, I really think that that's, that's a big issue. And of course, feet and legs anytime. I mean, I'm always calling on feet and legs, uh, no matter what time of year it is, whether she's calved or, or she's open, I'm still looking at feet and legs. And disposition seems like one of those traits that we talk a lot about, uh, but disposition is real. We need to, we, it's just easy to pick, uh, really docile cattle. Uh, there's no reason to keep those flighty, uh, higher-headed cows in, in the uh, operation. One from a human safety standpoint, even the animal safety standpoint. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the things you just said, and that reminded me of talking with another West Texas A&M professor. Uh, oh, he was a range management specialist. I just lost his name. Um, Dr. Steffens? Yes, Tim Steffens. Uh-huh. Uh, he was talking about uh, those cattle, I mean, a cattleman's operation is a business and our cattle are our employees. So if they're not, not, uh, working like they should to get them off the payroll. And that's correct. And get them off as soon as you know that they're not working for it. Yeah. That's the key to it. Uh, it just seems like, you know, cattlemen kind of get married to some of these cows or their family gets married to them and they don't want to call them and they'll, you know, let them roll from a spring herd to a fall herd, for example. And uh, every time you do that, it's just costing the operation, and, and that's just, just not what we need to be recommending cattlemen to do. Yes, sir. Uh, what are some of the other breeding uh, considerations that we should be aware of? Oh, the biggest thing is that I, I like for producers to sit down and come up with some breeding objectives some goals. Uh, they've got to know where they're at today before they can make any kind of improvements in genetic gain. Uh, too many times these folks don't don't really have any kind of uh, what I'll call uh, foundation foundational data. Well, do you know what your cow weighs? Do you know what your cow weighs when you're weaning that calf on her? Uh, a lot of those things they 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 don't they just guess. You know they they think their cows weigh you know 1,100 pounds and they've got there if they were to go really weigh those cows they might weigh 1,500 pounds. Uh, so then what happens is because of the limited use of that data then they wind up overstocking they overgraze. Uh, and then that leads to many, many other, you know, issues down the road uh, if they're not, you know, paying attention to those issues. Yes, sir. And that, I mean, on even on the extension side of stuff, it's important for us to start with that basics, too, so we can help uh, the producer the best way we can. we got to know where you want to go to help you go from point A to point B. That's right, yeah. And it is hard for breeders to sit down and, and come up with breeding objectives and goals. Um, you know, a lot of times it's just, I want to sell a weaned calf. Yeah, I want her to have a live calf and, and I want to wean it and sell it, you know. But there's a difference in a 450 pound weaned calf and a 550 pound weaned calf. You know, at today's prices, that can be significant. You know, and whether you've got an 1100 pound cow versus a 1500 pound cow, there's a lot of differences in, in cost to maintain that cow. So her return to the operation, you know, those weaning weights for calves versus her size are, are important. Yes, sir. Uh, and a lot of it too, I mean, 
going back to another West Texas A&M professor, come up with that plan and work the plan. But all of this will help you when you take them to the sale barn or wherever you're selling them, a seed stock or whatever, to put that uh, value back into them so you get more money in your back pocket to continue running your, your place. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and that's another thing if you talk about, you know, if these guys will sit down and think about the marketing plan, um, most of them don't think about it. They're going to ca- start calving in March, and they're going to sell those calves in October. Um, is there a better way to do that? You know, if they were to calve in, say, June, and then not market those calves until January, do they have more value in those calves? Because, uh, you know, just a su- supply and demand issue. Uh, everybody seems to want to calve in the spring and dump, dump all those fall calves on the market in either October or November. And that's when usually we're going to have the lowest of calf prices. Uh, so you can sure change up some breeding uh, plans and start having some fall barns and sell them in the spring. You're, you're going to sell usually for a little higher price on the same set of calves you would produce, you know, traditionally produce. And it may be a little bit more work on a lot of these producers who are diversified in farming too. And that's why they kind of do it the way they do. So you bet. Yeah, it's, it's a convenience for them. That's right. Yeah, I, we preg check or palpate a lot of cows for producers around here. And I find it interesting to watch the, the farmer uh, guys that, that really farming is their main interest, but they run some pretty good cows. Uh, they've always got the fatter cows when we go preg check and we go to a rancher that this is their livelihood. They're always seem to be in their working clothes and not nearly as much condition on those cows. Uh, just different mentality between the two groups. Yes, sir. And we're getting to that point where we're about to start putting bulls back out and or AI. And... That's right. Yep. Yeah, around here we we have a few guys that calve in January. And, you know, they turn out bulls April 1st or start AIing April 1st. And then we've got another set of uh, a bigger group probably that uh, calve in that March uh, area and they won't turn out bulls or AI until about mid-June. Uh, kind of my preferred. I don't like really calving in January and February. We've just got some rough weather that time of year. So. Uh, I like the March, April calving, and then in breeding those cows in June and, and early, you know, early July. Yeah, it's a little hard to calve, especially when there's snow on the ground. And you got to keep <laughs> keep those calves warm. Yeah, with the 50 mile an hour wind here in the Panhandle, that's for sure. Uh, I wish it was just the Panhandle. It's up here in Kansas too. Oh gosh, the wind never quits blowing here. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we appreciate your time, Doctor Perkins. Yes, sir. Well, we appreciate the opportunity. If you're ever in Canyon, come by and see us. Yes. Some really good students here. It's one of the best universities there is. Well, thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Go Buffs. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening to the Reno County Range. Be on the lookout for our next episode. Mm-hmm.